All of those things are only possible because we set that that aim, that flag in the future, and then every time an option came up, we always filtered the opportunity through, will that get us closer to or further away from these major life objectives? You could tie that to anything else from health to marriage to parenting, and all of the options get a lot easier if we're measuring them against a future state that we're solving for. Helping people build ambitious and satisfying careers, businesses, and lives. This is the Influence Ecology Podcast. Now, here is your host, John Patterson. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm your host, John Patterson, the co-founder and CEO of Influence Ecology, the leading business education in transactional competence. Broadcasting from Ventura, California, This podcast features case studies, stories, and lessons from business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs who found real solutions, real results, and real satisfaction, not only with work, career, and money, but in every area of life. You'll hear how these ambitious professionals found that those who transact powerfully thrive. This episode is one of the series we call Where Are They Now?, In this series, we revisit guests we interviewed a few years earlier to find out what's happened since we last talked. Most of the interviews are with those who have completed our curriculum and have been practicing what we teach for some time. Here are some highlights from when we first spoke. I can think of so many things where I thought of something one way and now I think of it differently and I can articulate it, like how somebody thinks about a particular money issue they can articulate, I thought this way before, now I think this way differently. And it's very difficult to do when it's something as all-encompassing as what you teach in Influence Ecology. I'm different with my spouse, my wife now. I'm actually different in the ways I'm helping my church be able to be effective in certain areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, different in my business, different with my children. What I think of when you mention the thinking-doing cycle and the idea that we have to do both is I think about it as how I look at whether or not somebody knows something. And so often people will say things like, well, yeah, I mean, I know how to do that. How often they'll say, well, I I know what it takes to get to $300,000 of income. All I've got to do is go do it. (laughs) And how upsetting it is to them to just say, "Uh, you don't know how. Because if you knew, you'd have had it by now. Mm. And if you just pause long and say, I think I know how. And then go try to do what you think is going to work and then adjust. Now, you'll hear how they've continued to transact powerfully and thrive. From time to time, I'll explain Influence Ecology and our approach by telling a story about the ABC television series American Idol. The award-winning series involves discovering recording stars from unsigned singing talents, and the winner receives a record deal with a major label. In one audition listed in the category of Worst of the Worst, from Season 4, Mary Roach sings I Feel the Earth Move by Carol King. Once finished, a gobsmacked Simon Cowell asks, What makes you audition for this competition? Mary replies, All my friends told me I was an awesome singer. (laughs) Simon responds, Mary, not only can you not sing, you have one of the weirdest voices I've ever heard in my entire life. Mary says, well, 
many people around me have told me I have an amazing voice. Random people I don't even know have agreed. And with great care, Paula Abdul says, Mary, I'm sorry, they lied to you. And we all know why. We live amongst people who don't want to kill our dreams. They want to give us hope. They want to stroke our confidence and make us feel good about ourselves. Sometimes we even surround ourselves with people too much like ourselves and can fall prey to a group bias for thinking we're winning when we're not or making the right choices when in fact we're far from them. In Mary's case, her friends and family could have told her she was a mediocre singer. They could have saved her wasted time, an emotional toll, and international humiliation. They could have said to her that if she aspired to sing, that through practice, she might one day sing, and if good enough, possibly consider American Idol. So how do we find our ignorance, challenge our hubris, and confront our naivete? Where can we find a means to see a correct reflection of ourselves as others see us? Who gives us an accurate read of ourselves and our aims before we spend time, energy, and money, before we make poor choices? In today's episode, we'll hear how Influence Ecology has helped Paul Adams see an accurate reflection for himself and how he helps his customers do the same. Paul shares how he's growing his company with a team that genuinely supports him and where their freedom to check his inventor hubris is cherished. Paul Adamson Sound Financial Group helps those making annual incomes of 300000 to $2 million secure their financial independence. And like Influence Ecology, Paul and his team are hired to help people confront their naivete so they can live satisfying lives. Here's the interview. Here we are with Paul Adams. Paul, if you could take a moment and introduce yourself. Well, it's Paul Adams. I'm the founder and CEO of Sound Financial Group. I uh, live in the Seattle, Washington area with my family. I'm married, a wife of Kristen for a little more than 10 years, and three kids who by the end of this year will be seven, eight, and nine years old. So it's a busy life out here with us. And we spend a lot of time traveling in our RV. I think we're racking up about 80 nights a year staying in our RV. That's fantastic. And you designed your whole life to do that so you could kind of have it all, right? Yeah, definitely. We love the outdoors, spending time with our friends and family. And one of the things I really enjoy is the level of autonomy that comes with having constructed an enterprise in a way that it would care for my aims instead of the other way around where most people are really sacrificing their own personal aims to feed their career or feed their business. And over the last about three, four years, we've really constructed the business to make its primary purpose, caring for building the life that we want. And that kind of leads me to the last time we were together and why I wanted to talk to you today. This is a an episode in a series that we're calling Where Are They Now? We interviewed you sometime in the past. Do you know how many years ago that was? No, but I remember where I was. I was in uh, Vancouver, Canada for the interview. So that had to be like three and a half years ago is what it seems like. Yeah, something like that. So it's been a little while and it's worth just noting what's happened since. So the last time we were together, we talked a lot about accurate thinking. We talked a little bit about what happened out of your participation in our programs and the life that you designed. So first of all, I've told your story a, a few different times because I love 
I was just on the phone today, by the way, with Trisha mm-hmm. Tyler. You know you have a close relationship with Trisha Tyler, and Trisha is one of those people that just has designed a life of surplus and being able to enjoy a great life. And you know, she's getting her pilot's license. Mm-hmm. She and Jeff are about to take off on an amazing adventure for 19 days and, and, and all of that. But you really have designed a life that many people would admire in a variety of ways. You're uh, known in all kinds of ways. Now, even more known, uh, you can say a little bit today about your, your recent podcast. Mm-hmm. You have designed a life where you can travel and play as you want. You've designed a life where you don't have to look back you know, at the end of some career and say, gosh, I, I wish I could have spent more time with my family and with my kids or things that matter to me with my church or my community and, and everything else. So you've done a really amazing job about that. And we again, we talked about that last time. I want to just take a moment. Anything you want to say about all that? I would say that, uh, you know, you mentioned a little bit about one of the things we've got coming up now that's much closer than it was prior is we will leave on our one-year RV trip, June 1 of 2020. And it's taken a lot of, I don't want to say work, but it's taken a lot of thinking and a lot of subtracting things out of our lives to make that a reality to now. It's like pretty much all the pieces are in place. We just need to finish actually planning where we're going to be and when. My business partner, Corey Shepard, has bought in that we'll be down to a three-day work week, that I'll be doing things down to a three-day work week before the trip begins so that it makes it seamless for the team. We've made the company entirely location independent. So we still have a mailing address and office location, but none of us need to be anywhere in particular to be able to do what we do. So if one of our staff said, I want to go live in Japan for a month, they could do that. And that was something that Mm. wasn't real last time we spoke. But most importantly, it's that idea of every time a business option comes up, some of which were huge opportunities that I've actually declined. And the whole reason to decline them was they were going to require that I travel the country and speak at a lot of conferences instead of the few conferences I most want to speak at, that that would clog Mm -hmm. up my capacity and prevent me from being able to do this trip or that being more involved in some local associations. Those would not allow for it. I was able to serve on my church board for a while, like about five years, and then said, okay, now that needs to come to an end because we're getting ready to go on this trip. All of Mm -hmm. those things are only possible because we set that aim, that flag in the future, and then every time an option came up, we always filtered the opportunity through, will that get us closer to or further away from these major life objectives? The one that's easy to talk about here is the one-year RV trip, but you could tie that to anything else from health to marriage to parenting. And all of the options get a lot easier if we're measuring them against a future state that we're solving for. I could just stop right now because, (laughs) (laughs) well, as you probably know, when you interview someone, you have to pull out examples and you have to pull out things that illustrate a thing you just Mm -hmm. said. And you just did that beautifully, by the way. And I think it's a testament to your own work with clients to help them think accurately. And I just congratulate you. It sounds like you're thriving. If we can, though, let's just take a second and think about if, let's imagine we have a new listener here. 
with us today. Somebody who's never heard an Influence Ecology podcast. They don't know anything about what we're talking about. You've been on a journey that started many years ago here with Influence mm-hmm. Ecology. I know that you and Kirkland have known each other for, for a little bit longer before mm-hmm. that. But in terms of what you might say to a listener, a new listener, about your own journey, and we'll get to what's happening now because we're, we're here to talk about where are they now. So we're going to leave the where are they now for just a minute. But if we think about just talking to a brand new listener who wants to sort of take the first couple of steps towards the journey you have, what would you recommend to them? I would say first, if you've not done it, find out with you and if you're married with your spouse or partner, what is it you actually want from your future. And, you know, when we meet with our clients, one of the things we often ask is if we were to meet three years from today, looking back to this conversation to today, what is it you'd most want to have accomplished personally, professionally, financially to be really happy with your progress over those three years? And even though almost all of our clients have household incomes between 300,000 and $2 million a year. So these are people who like they're smart and they have done things. Not sitting around slacking. And yet that is not an easy question for most of them to answer because most of them have spent their personal lives reacting and responding to the needs of their business or career. So I would say the first thing to get settled in, if you're going to, let's say, have a conversation with Influence Ecology, you're just hearing this podcast randomly, somebody sent it to you, maybe you saw it on somebody's LinkedIn, that you're now reflecting like, wait, pause long enough. You and your spouse, maybe it's a, a long dinner together and a piece of paper to just write out. What would we actually want our life to look like three years, five years, 10 years from now? Generally speaking, you could just use those three domains of personal, professional, financial, make it super easy to just here is where I want to go. And then look at the other people doing what you're currently doing the way everybody's doing it as we would talk about it being in the current. And like, is anybody having the life if they're five years further down the career that you're in, do they have a life that you want? And actually a good friend of mine that I introduced to Influence Ecology some years ago, he realized in our planning sessions, I said, so what's the next stage of your development? He says, oh, it'll be this role. And I said, how much they travel? Because travel was something he didn't want to do as much of. And you could see he just like his face sunk in the moment because he it had never occurred to him to look at that way. It was always the the next customer. If you're a business owner, that next client, that employee growth, the additional office location or in a career, that next promotion, that next big move, the next bump in pay are all what people center on. And not for a moment do they pause and say, wait, is that what I actually want in all the other areas of my life that actually matter? And if you think about it, people can ignore a lot of concerns in their life outside of their career until they're about 40. I think people can hard charge, go at it, ignore their health, ignore their family, get a lot of forgiveness because they're getting a lot of success. And then they look up at 40. The problem is all the habits and practices that they developed for the first 20 years now have to be somehow unwound. It's not like you can get to 40. Like a diabetic can't suddenly get diagnosed with diabetes and give up ice cream. It doesn't work that way. Neither can that person in their 40s now realizing maybe they want to be home with their kids now that their kids are, you know, almost, you know, double digits. They can't just say this is where I'm going to stay home now because they've got a career that has a momentum and trajectory that they now can't control. And to first pause and reflect of, well, what I'm doing now actually put me in the, all of these areas, personal, professional, financial, in a way that I would even be remotely satisfied with. And I think a lot of people in their 
dark, quiet moments, maybe by themselves or maybe with a spouse, they find out it's not really going to take me where I want to go. And that's probably a really good starting point. Mm. Sorry to drop that so heavy. (laughs) No, no, it's really good because I'm wondering, I know that people are listening that are both um, customers of ours and customers of yours or or possible future customers Mm -hmm. of yours. Uh, Many people at Influence Ecology use your Mm -hmm. services wisely, I might add. And (laughs) you're welcome. Well, thank you back. In your work with people, when you have them consider that that future, that three-year, five-year, ten-year future, what do you find most people have to confront? I know you've said a few things there, but in general, what are some of the things you find most people have to begin to confront? So one that I don't think is the way, it's not the way that they digest it, so I'm going to say it this way just for the sake of the audience to, to get the concept, but yeah the first thing people have to do is locate themselves inside their ignorance. If you're going to start excelling in some new area of performance, better marriage, better physical health, uh, better athletic performance, better professional performance, better performance with your money, you, you kind of need to like, if you were learning chess, first find out what are the bad moves that you're making, stop those. So locating yourself in what's not working as a primary tool. And I think that a lot of that can come from being a part of an ecology of people where somebody else, as you guys talk about it, being able to hold up the mirror because we operate in our everyday life and we don't hear about these things. In fact, Corey and I don't tell everybody the things that, because people can't take it all at once anyway. It has to be dripped in over time so that they can take the little pieces. So I would say one of the first things people have to confront, especially when looking at their long-term planning is understanding that they don't know simple financial mechanics. Like most people probably listening right now do not know that if they want $200,000 of income every year all throughout their old age, how much money actually has to be in capital at work outside of home equity to be able to do that. They just, no one's ever taught them because inside the current, everybody's just taught them the things they need to know to buy the next financial product, but not to hold an entire financial strategy. Now everybody wants to know that number now that you just said it. <laughs> You're probably thinking right now, I wonder what the number is. And uh, What is that it's, number? It's just a 4% distribution rule. So for every $40,000 of annual dependable income you want to have, what all the scholarship says, it does not matter if you invested in single family homes or commercial real estate, or you have a diversified basket of stocks and bonds in a diversified portfolio you can still only take out 4% because those assets, even if they over time do seven or eight, they trend up and down. And as they trend up and down and you take distributions, your distributions in down years accelerates the erosion of your capital and puts you in a position where I'm a little country. So it's like, you're just eating your seed corn. You got to plant the field again next year. So we got to make sure that people are at least aware that for every $40,000 of income that you want to have control over, you got to have a million dollars set aside. So $200,000 a year of income is 5 million capital at work. Or said differently, if you're making $400,000 a year and people say, how do you feel today? And you say, I feel like a million bucks. You should say, I feel like $10 million because that's what it would take to throw off $400,000 a year. You are really, really valuable asset to your family. And many people don't think of what's the capital at work equivalent needed to produce for my family every year what I do naturally by transacting the marketplace. Great. So let's go back to the beginning of your journey with Influence mm-hmm. Ecology and I'm trying to remember your word, we would say we point out where people are naive. Mm-hmm. You said, what was your word well, for locate it? Locate themselves in their ignorance. 
<laughs> God, I can imagine saying that to some people. They'd be so offended. In any case, so if you locate yourself in your ignorance, in your early days of FOT, simply said, what was mm. it? I would say something I went my entire career doing is I thought what mattered was facts and not feelings. And huh. the facts don't care about your feelings. That's what I would literally, like that's how I ornamented to the entire world. And that worked pretty well because I was such a high performer and I could bring enough value. But what I realized was this entire time, every time somebody gave me some new profile to take or something else, I would use it to learn about myself around personality, but I ignored communicating with other people based upon their personality. Now, I did it for a very different reason. The financial services industry, the reason I built out my own business so quickly is I didn't like the sales culture of most financial firms. So I tried to distance mm -hmm. myself as quickly as possible. And so much of that sales training had to do with, for this type of personality, you do this. For, so I just wanted to be as far away from that sales stuff as I could, but I necessarily mm -hmm. left behind everything around personalities. And what I learned in influence psychology that I did not know prior was that knowing something about personalities actually gave me a better capacity to teach people, to help them feel understood, and to give them the ability for their sake, not mine, but to be able to understand concepts more quickly and transact easier to become a client of ours so that it didn't take so much time because otherwise I would just work with the people whose their personalities would tolerate mine or ones who were simpatico with mine. And I had no idea this entire time that I had been creating that. And now just understanding those personalities and the same thing inside my own enterprise. And now it's like constant sort of inside jokes about the type of personality I am between me and Jeff or me and Miranda or me and Corey and how we navigate that and how we keep me focused on the areas I'm most apt to excel at because of my transactional personality type. That's great. That's really great. Well said. All right. So here you are. You've been how many years in this study now? I think it's been almost, I think it's almost four years. So wait a second. I think I could tell you 2000. So it must've been just three years ago that I was on the podcast or two and a half because I started, I think in March, 2016 is my guess. Yeah. So you've had the journey up until the time that we spoke mm -hmm. before. Where are they now? Where are you now? What's been going on since we last talked? And I know you've addressed a few things here, but what's your journey been about in the last couple of years here at Influence Ecology? You're still studying mm -hmm. with us. You're still a part of this. You know, where I'm going to see you in a few days. So you're still here. How come? What's happening now? Well, I'll tell you, one of the things, John, that has been the most valuable for me being in Influence Ecology is how I mean this in a really good way. But I've gotten, you know, we say inside Influence College, like I'm hard to threaten now, both mm -hmm. not just because of income and net worth who are also helpful, but also we go out of our way to control our expenses. So it makes it very difficult for one client to say, well, I might leave. And I say, well, I can still tell you the truth about your money because I don't have to have you as a client. <laughs> like I don't, the same thing, that same thing has also branched over to make it that I don't have to study as rigorously as I used to. And ah. it's super easy to sit back and yet every month there's an assignment due. And I have gone through months where I've been maybe conceivably the worst student that completed an assignment that month. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and yet if it weren't for that, and I don't mean it like a pressure, 
but the cadence of another yes. every month, there's another assignment due over and over and over again. And if I wasn't in this study, even if I had all the same books on the shelf, I wouldn't be able to be in a study of those books. I just would be glancing at them on my shelf. That I think mm. is one of the biggest things that keeps me connected to the ecology. Cause frankly, I'll show up to this mid-year conference and I will in some way be left in a, and I mean this in a good way. Like if you are a runner and somebody just goes flying past you, people that are still managing to hold all of the major concerns that they have and get their studies done. And then there'll be, there'll be somebody that might see me and go, Oh my gosh, like I'm taking too much time in my career and maybe I need more time with my family and they'll take that from me. And we end up being like that old biblical phrase of ironing, sharpening iron in the room together to be in the position where here we are all learning from the same, we're all drinking from the same well, but applying it to our own lives in a way that Correct. actually makes it faster for all of us to learn because we see it applied in different environments over and over and over again. Great. It's really good. And since we were last together, there have been a few changes in your staff. Mm -hmm. So you uh, now, I've noticed Corey is, is part of many of your marketing mm -hmm. endeavors. Jeff, and say a little bit about what's happened there yep. and why. Yeah, so Corey became a partner this last year and in no small part became a partner because of not just the value he was able to bring prior, but going through the Fundamentals of Transaction program made him, like the best way I could think of it, like it made him the $6 million man to me. Like he now understood who more about what it was like to deal with me and my personality and where to get the most out of me, where the enterprise could get the most out of me to point me like I can be like a guided missile in a client meeting as long as I have something that I'm focused on. But outside of client meetings, I could be a guided missile that's just come off the launch pad and gone in every direction, like something launched out of North Korea that splashes down the Japan Sea accidentally. That's the, the problem. But now he's better able to listen to my concerns, execute on behalf of the enterprise, where now we're basically down to, I have one direct report, which is Corey. All the rest of the team reports to Corey and it really makes it where, while I interact with everybody, there's so much in the enterprise I don't have to worry about. And Corey was able to understand how to really fill that role and bring that degree of value to me and to the enterprise. I think in part because of some of the things we both learned in FOT that allowed us to have a similar enough background that we could execute that. Now, Jeff coming into the enterprise was Oh yeah. Hold on with Corey yes. for just a second. I'm curious about yes. something. Now I've known you for a uh -huh. while. You're a you identify as an inventor personality as we teach it. And inventor personalities are often lone rangers and independent and you know, my my idea of the highway and different things like mm -hmm. that, right? So you and I haven't talked about this, but I had wondered as I watched Corey saddle up to uh, the inventor. I had wondered about that for you and what you had gone through, what, what had transpired for you in starting to work with somebody like that. And yes, I can see that he would, knowing what he learned in FOT, be kind of a natural, but what'd you deal with? So Corey worked with me prior to FOT for about four years. And the way the relationship for the most part worked, I think prior to that, and I'm hoping not speaking out of school. So nothing like John having never talked about something with you before. And then we'll just talk about it in front of the world here. <laughs> so I think, I think Corey, what he was able to do because of FOT is in certain ways come alongside me. And instead of just kind of 
navigating that inventor personality is in certain ways being able to stop me and say, Paul, I think we need to pause here and do these three things next. Or we need to mm. pause here, not push any further because we need to, there's some relationship stuff we have to do here. Where I'm somebody who I think I can kind of swing judge side when I need to, swing performer side when I need to, I don't do anything on the bottom side of the transaction cycle. I don't even like fixing stuff at my own house in terms of actually work in action. I have two tools in my toolbox, a cell phone and a checkbook. I don't do stuff. I, <laughs> I, I create stuff for other people to do, John, is my primary thing. I understand. So, <laughs> so what he was able to do, though, in learning from FOT was how to redirect me without betraying his core personality, not wanting conflict with me. And with that shared yes. language set that we both agreed to and being able to say, hey, Paul, I think you're doing that thing. And uh, and I was able to do the same thing with him without that little bit of an overarching or overpowering personality type that people are going to say yes to because he's the boss or because he sounds like he's yes. got it all together. And that could run us into problems in the future. So that is the the big difference that I think has come from Corey participating in FOT. And I cannot tell you enough how what a key thing I think it is. So many people become partners in an enterprise and the only language they share is the language of that enterprise. And to have those mm. two people do the fundamentals of the transaction program together would be absolute gold, I think, for most organizations with partners. If you'd like to know more about Influence Ecology and our approach, you can register for free 30-day guest access. During this time, you can test drive our interactive webinars, online learning system, and private mentorship. Program participation is by application only, and successful participants earn candidacy into our advanced program tiers. Our members are an international assembly of ambitious professionals, business leaders, and executives from a variety of countries, industries, and cultures. To find out more, you can find a link in the show notes for this podcast at influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. That's influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. Or in the U.S. or Canada, you can text the word ambition to 805-262-9008 and we'll send the registration link right to your mobile phone. Again, text the word ambition to 805-262-9008. Also in our show notes, you'll find all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. You may or may not know about the work that we're doing in enterprises. Do you know anything about Just that? Just a little bit. T TCX, yeah, um, I think. TCX, yeah. yeah, transactional competence across teams, generally speaking. And so there are teams that work together. And what we found is that when people understand the transaction cycle as a fundamental framework and personality, mm -hmm. again, as a fundamental framework, then it allows them to coordinate action in ways, share a common language, share a common tool, ask the question, where are we in this transaction? What is next? Who's the right role for this transaction and so forth? That's been fantastic. It's been really great. So you started to bring up Jeff. Mm -hmm. Anything else about your team? Well, I, I will say one thing that I think could get lost. People may go listen to the other podcast, but I think if it weren't for, we did a lot of online meetings prior to Influence Ecology, and it wasn't until learning the transaction cycle understanding all of the key components that I was able to revisit an entire business model, like in the financial services, financial advising, financial planning world, people are used to people being across the desk from each other. 
coming into that beautiful yep. office and the trappings and all that. In fact, I just spoke to a guy right before the podcast who managed to do a three-year trip with his family in a boat across the world who owns a financial advising firm. He flew back every quarter for a week to get all his client meetings done in about a week and a half and then fly back out. And to me, I was thinking, oh my gosh, that seems so horrible. He says it was bad. Like it was, he was totally smoked after a week and a half back in his office to then be able to fly back to his boat to continue the three-year trip. And we've now changed how we transact with people in a way that they actually feel better because they can access us whenever they need to, wherever they are. It's not just about wherever we are. And that wouldn't have been mm. possible if we didn't have that transaction cycle. And I never could have translated it to my team and my company and my employees without having the simple framework of the transaction cycle to do that. So just that shared background, mm. I can't say enough about. It's really great. I think we can move on, but anything else you want to say no, about your great. team? I think uh, the, the fun, one fun uh, one is with Jeff. You talk about accomplishments, et cetera. Here's a guy, we actually had him on the podcast as uh, our podcast, which is called Your Business, Your Wealth. Uh, you can find it on Instagram at, at Wealth Podcast or you know, look on any of those socials for it. It just happens to be the one tag I remember. But he joined us after becoming a client, after handling, being the primary person handling he and Trish's finances together as a married couple and not realizing that they had already crossed the finish line to financial independence. Like they had just kept a, accumulating capital. And when he joined us and I said, well, you know, hey, you've been looking, you're kind of open into a career. You don't really have to work, but you want freedom. Why don't you just teach people to do what you've already done successfully? He's like, well, I don't have 20 years in the industry like you do. I said, yeah, but you do have the accomplishment of already having your money handled. And that's a pretty hard one for anybody to beat. So you've got more swagger than most advisors out there have been doing it 20 years. And he said, okay. And so that's kind of what instigated him joining our firm a little over a year ago. And, and he does bring that level of confidence and clarity to people and an inquiry into the future that they want. And he was pretty open yeah. about how his was mostly out of habits to save like crazy, not because he even knew how much was enough. He was even of the scarcity mindset that there would maybe never be enough. He had to keep saving. And that even yeah. that has cleared up for him and he's able to translate that to clients. That's great. That's really great. I want to turn our attention to why do you think so many people here at Influence Ecology come to you and your team for help? It's a good question. I think there's a few reasons. One is, I think our relationships with everybody with whom we meet, whether it's somebody off the podcast or where I'm a guest somewhere, speaking somewhere, is that we start every potential conversation with somebody who's a potential client. Every potential client relationship just starts with, let's have a, a meeting via Zoom where we just share our philosophy. We're not gonna make you an offer. We're not gonna ask you to open your financial kimono. We are only going to share with you how we look at the world. Because inside most financial firms, they are slightly changing their narratives, their language, or maybe even the perceived philosophy based upon whatever's most important to the client. So that first meeting, maybe probably many listeners have been in a first meeting with some financial person where they're asking some personal questions, et cetera. And they're kind of figuring out what's going to best take care of you that might have you become a client. And we don't, we can't do that because we now have like hundreds of hours of audio and video and print media out there about our philosophy as a firm. So I can't change our philosophy for that person we're meeting with. What I can do yeah. is I could say, this is how we look at the world. 
what we think is going on, why retirement doesn't work for most people, especially not people at higher income ranges, not in the way that society teaches us, because that's meant for the nothing bad about the 90%, but they've designed it for most families making under 150 a year, which doesn't work the same for families making over 300. And when we kind of open that up and really discuss the things that most people affiliated with financial institutions never talk about, it builds a fair amount of trust. And then when we finish, we let people know that you can apply to become a client or not. And if you don't want to, that's okay, but we'll never call you or follow up with you again. If you want to, you can apply and then we'll, we'll let you know if we can make you an offer and we'll only make you an offer if we think it's ethical for us to do so. And I think that that simple orientation and our ability to be location independent makes it so easy for people to at least have an initial conversation with us, which has led to so many of the opportunities to work with influence ecology students. So I, I would say that is why. And how do you think our philosophies, influence ecologies and yours, how do you think they align? Well, one, to my experience, and I've been around a lot of different coaching organizations, all kind of aiming toward work less, make more, or advance in your career, build your business more, et cetera. And influence college is the only one I have ever been a part of. And I'm, I'm telling you, since I was 20, I have spent upwards of $40,000 a year, some years in educating myself. And this is the first time anybody's actually made as a part of one of the introductory assignments and in initial coursework, you need to understand whether or not you're thinking accurately or na na accurately. naively with a bunch of naivete uh, are you ignorant or not, basically? <laughs> do, do you have any idea how much money it's going to take and how good you're doing toward that end? And I think it speaks to yours and Kirkland's ethical commitment to not just care that people make more money, but to care that people are setting themselves up for the future because nobody I've ever been around does that. And I would challenge people to like, have you ever been a part of a program that literally says like, these are the numbers. These are the metrics. Here's a calculator. Can you actually do the math to even know where you're at? And too often people can't. It's pro I'm going to, I've never asked you about this, but I imagine it's the part of the assignments to get people most agitated in their early coursework. Yeah, it is. It is absolutely. And I think it's worth taking a second and saying something mm -hmm. about it because in the early days or in the early studies of influence ecology, many people are confronting their naivete or their their ignorance, as you call it. And they're confronting that naivete about a variety of things. And we do want to, as we say here at Influence Ecology, hold up a mirror so that people have the opportunity to see or observe something that they may never have. Um, too often we live in a world that will simply say, you know, G you go for it, do it. That's a great idea. It'll uh, all work out. You know, yeah, it's awesome. I love that. It's a fantastic idea. You know, not too many people are going to say, dude, that's a mistake. That's going to, well, hold on a second. What's your aim here? I don't, I don't understand why you're doing that. It is unfortunate, but we don't often live amongst a group of people that will mirror back to us the kinds of behaviors, practices, ethics, activities that actually work against mm -hmm. us. And so influence ecology has been designed to do that. Yes. And so, as you mentioned, even in your relationship or in many areas of life, what people do is they come here and they have aims in many different conditions of life. And our job is to, A, have them think accurately about those things. B, 
B, begin to look for their naive. C, construct transactions to satisfy those things in reality, not as a fantasy. Yes. And when we do that, when we do that well, people, you know, can go spend a year in an RV and still have all their aims met. It's fantastic. Yep. Well, and it's, uh, and it's funny when you talk about aims and, you know, I'm sure in other podcasts you've covered them more in detail, but being able to anticipate what they're going to be and address them in advance is now something that's just, I don't, I'm not saying I do it all right all the time, but one of the things I've had to do is actually design a physical workout regimen that will work when I'm in an RV for a year, because otherwise I'll have a massive mm-hmm. breakdown of my health and an inability to work out consistently. If I do not have the structures, the things in reality needed in the RV to do yeah. it and close enough by and construct in a way that I will do them every day. And that is like one thing that could ruin my life and being on the road for a year is if my health fell apart. Yes. All right. Well, sir, is there anything else you want to say to the public before we sign off? Uh, You know, just for those of you that are Influence College students who have contributed to my life, whether that could have been you being at a conference or on a conference call that I may have listened to live or listened to recorded, nearly everybody in the ecology has given me something for me to chew on, to reflect on, or something that you may have just said about yourself or something you're dealing with on a podcast that caused reflection for me. Nearly everybody in that room that's been in that room more than once has contributed to me in some way. And if it weren't for you and Kirkland having constructed this long before I ever became a student, I would never have had that opportunity. And just from the just the bottom of my heart, thank you guys for being here and having created this environment that I just got to step into as a student and write a relatively small set of checks compared to the checks you guys had to write early on to build all of it. And to every all the other students that take time to be on the calls, on the podcast, share your thinking, get up in front of the room and share something that you learned. There's probably something about nearly every student in my notes of something I've learned from them at a conference. So thanks to all of them and thanks to you and Kirkland. Paul Adams, thank you so much for being a guest today. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. In this episode's talk, we'll hear a segment of a webinar on the value and cost of people's personality in transactions. While many people around us are eager to point out our value, or perhaps we're quite eager to let people know about our value, it's very unlikely that we're surrounded with the opportunity to have a mirror reflect back to us the cost we are in transactions so we can lower our cost and in doing so raise our value. Here's the talk. You can start to look at your own personality from from this framework. So, for example, if you tend to be a little more skeptical, you enjoy the narratives around facts, judgments, assessments. People count on you to keep the standards, keep the guidelines, let everybody know how things are run around here, you know, those kinds of things. If you're a producer down at the six o'clock place in the transaction cycle, you might be much more objective. Things are what they are. It's black and white. It's on or off. It's in or out. This is the checklist. Let's get it done. Did we do this? It's just simple. It's all black and white. We're at the top of the transaction cycle. You have a personality, an inventor personality, who's a little bit more subjective. 
subjectivism as a philosophy is simply that everything that I can experience is just an interpretation of the mind, and those things are malleable. They change. The producer would say, no, 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 this table's not an interpretation. If I leave this room, this table's still going to be here. The inventor would say, no, 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 who knows if it's really there? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, maybe it's an interpretation. Maybe there are possibilities we have not considered about what is real and what isn't real, right? You can hear all of that. Or performers. Performers really are able to construct a narrative in the moment. You can call on them to stand up in front of a room or you know, go talk to somebody, and they're always able to construct a proper narrative. They're able to construct that narrative because they are steeped in the present moment, in the now, with people, amongst others, in relationships. Their biology is wired on, are we good? Are we good? Are you good? Are we good? How's our relationship? It's all that sort of stuff. So you may start to identify personality from that perspective. And I have an entire sort of chart if you will, that we might come back to in a moment. I know people love it, so I'm not going to look at it for just about a sec. But what I want to do is have you consider perhaps which personality that you might identify with for the moment and start to address perhaps the asset you are. Because every one of us is an asset when our personality is aligned with the proper role in the transaction. And inventors as we said, tend to be future-based, idea-oriented people. They're self-reliant and highly subjective in their thinking. While performers tend to be present-based, relationship-oriented people who are inclined to be highly flexible in their thinking. Producers tend to be short-term and objective in their thinking and are highly work-oriented doers. And judges tend to be skeptical people relying on standards, competence, and evidence prior to taking action. Skepticism. Skepticism simply is, I don't know yet. Show me the evidence. I'm not sure I agree. Show me the evidence. So when our assets are aligned with the proper place in the transaction, then we tend to accelerate those transactions. However, we also tend to grind transactions to a halt. We stop them because we're our personality is also a liability if our personality is misaligned with the proper role in the transaction. So an inventor may tend to halt transactions with new ideas or a need to control and may avoid or dismiss relationships or judgments. In other words, may tend to dismiss the personalities on either side of the transaction cycle. In other words, going here. And this is the same for all the personalities. So an inventor may tend to dismiss sort of the value of the other personalities in the transaction, especially the one that follows it, right? So as we said, inventors tend to halt them that way. Performers tend to halt transactions with relationship concerns, like a little bit too concerned for relationship. So they got to stop everything and make sure we're good. Or they tend to stop transactions with mood campaigns. A mood campaign is a kind of, oh my gosh, isn't this amazing? Don't you just love this? I love this food. Don't you look, gosh, I, they're, they're campaigning for mood. 
or they may or avoid dismiss or dismiss commitments or facts. Producers tend to halt transactions with premature or unnecessary doing. They're always quite ready to get to work on something where we're just talking about some ideas here. Just hold on. And they may avoid or dismiss completion or flexibility. Producers tend to like things to be consistent as they are. You know, let's just get the procedure set up once and done. Judges tend to halt transactions with authoritative evidence or confrontive standards. No, no, no. That's not the way we do things around here. Right. And may avoid or dismiss vision or repetition. So. We want to begin to, as I said, point to both the asset and the liability of our personalities in transactions. My special thanks to our guests, Paul Adams. In our show notes, you'll find links to connect with him and all the links to websites, books, or downloads mentioned in this podcast. The Influence Ecology Podcast is produced by Influence Ecology, LLC in Ventura, California. This episode was recorded July 15th of 2019 and was produced by Tyson Crandall and me, John Patterson. You can find a transcript for this and other episodes at influenceecology.com. This episode is made possible through the assistance of the Influence Ecology faculty, staff, mentors, and students around the world. Co-founder Kirkland Tibbles and our colleagues comprise an international collection of professionals who are active in the development of the philosophy of transactionalism and the discipline of transactional competence. Kirkland is considered a leading philosopher and authority in the field and has authored more than 500 papers on the subject, study, and discipline. This episode includes contributions by Carol Gregory. The podcast theme is by Chris Standring, entitled Fast Train to Everywhere. You can subscribe to the Influence Ecology podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or via email at podcast at influenceecology.com. If you haven't yet offered a rating or review, I ask that you take a moment, go to iTunes or your podcast app, and let us know what you think. This helps us more than you know.